Welcome to another message from Columbus First Assembly. Thanks for listening as we strive to learn and live the Word and ways of God. Our hope is that you're encouraged by today's message. Well, I am kind of excited. No, I'm more than kind of excited. I'm really excited to share with you this morning on God's Word. For those of you that are going to bring my illustration up, you're probably wondering why there was a table sitting over on the side. If you've been here for a while, you know, uh uh-oh, Pastor Rick's got something planned. And you are absolutely right. They are bringing over my stuff. Now, what I'd like you to do, if you have a paper Bible, I want you to turn to two passages of Scripture, Ecclesiastes chapter 10, and first, well, let me look at that. Right there, right up to the edge, please. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and 1 Kings chapter 10. I just realized both were chapter 10s. Now, I'm going to mess you up here, Nathaniel, just a bit because I'm a walker and I'm going to trip and fall with this thing right here. So, singers, please forgive me, but I've moved your, microphone, or moved your monitor a bit. All right, so have those two passages of Scripture ready. But as we get started... We are going to have cooking with Pastor Rick. Yes. May I have someone plug this in down there at the front of the stage? We are going to cook this morning. Actually, not just me. I have got a volunteer this morning to help me out. He was actually volunteered by all of his family and friends and people sitting around him. He did not want to volunteer, but somehow or other, they convinced him. And I am so appreciative of them convincing Brandon to come up here and help me. Come on up, Brandon. That's pretty weak, folks. This guy didn't want to come up. Come on. Come on over here, Brandon. And you are going to help with cooking with Pastor Rick. Now, my mother had this idea. Probably wasn't a bad thing because I did survive my single years. My mother had this idea that every young man should learn how to cook because someday they will need it. I saw a couple of ladies nodding their heads. So you are going to learn how to cook brownies. Now, brownies are relatively simple. But these brownies, uh, anybody, anytime you start with brownies, you know, you start with normally a, a, a brownie mix. These brownies are special because everybody who makes brownies puts their own little touches on them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Mary Sperner isn't here. Mary Sperner puts her own little touches in her brownies, and she gives them to us for our birthdays and stuff, and they're great. Aunt Nina, Aunt Nina, which, who has now passed away, uh, had her own special brownies. Well, these are a family secret that goes back to me. I'm the only one who's ever made these kind of brownies, but uh, now Brandon will make them. So, are you ready to cook with Pastor Rick? All right? You may open that and dump the contents in the bowl, please. First thing of cooking, you've got to be able to open the bag. Some of us, for that purpose... Carry pocket knives. I won't stab you or anything like that. But So first things first, buy yourself a pocket knife so that you can open those bags. And if you had one, there you go. Dump that stuff in there. 
Now, the cool thing is that on these bags is the recipe. It's going to tell you what to do next. So what does it tell you to do? Oh, wait a minute. The other thing about cooking, you have to be able to read. And I'm assuming that you can read, right? Okay, good. So what does it ask for first? Third cup of vegetable oil. Here is our vegetable oil. I happen to have brought the half cup. Now, if you only have a half cup and you don't have a third cup, you kind of have to guess what it is. But if you'll fill it to right about that line there, you'll be good and then dump it in with the mix. I told Brandon I wouldn't embarrass him that much. And he still agreed to come up because all those people back there. There you go. That's good, Brandon. Dump that in. What is the next ingredient that it asks for? All right, here is your water, and there is a tablespoon there for you. So take, put two tablespoons of water in there. And that is not a full tablespoon. You've got to, the water is important. Uh, that's pretty good. Yeah, you're almost at two. I would do probably another. There you go. That should be great. Next ingredient, what does it call for? One egg. One egg. There you are, sir. And you do understand how to do eggs. Do I need to dim? Okay, good. You know, some people might throw the whole thing in there, but, but Brandon knows that he does not need to. Maybe. There you go. You may put the eggs in there. Good. All right. Now, we're going to mix this in just a second, but this is where brownies get fun because everybody does little special things, and I particularly like pecans. Do you like pecans? Why not? Okay. Now, this is where we don't measure any longer. We just sort of toss in and do fun stuff. So you just toss some of those pecans in there, would you please? So you think there's enough pecans to make the greatest brownies ever. Okay. The greatest brownies ever are getting started. I'm just going to break that egg up a little bit. Okay. We're going we're gonna to actually turn this thing on. We're going to work with power tools. Yeah. Mm. Now, every cook has things that they consider to be their secret special ingredient. Well, I have my secret special ingredient. What, 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 what was that face about? It looks, looks like what your dog does. No, this is not what your dog does. But this is what Jordan Andreessen's dogs do, because he helped me out. Would you like to, to, to verify my secret ingredient is truly... No? Okay. Well, I do need you... Listen, you're, you're helping me cook. I do need you to put it into a form that can be measured. So would you just kind of goop it around a bit so that we can get a spoonful? <laughs> you, you are very tentative with that stuff. It feels weird. <laughs> okay. It's, it's okay. It's, this, this is a truly a good Ziploc. Now, it's in the right form. And so now these brown. And, and by the way, something about brownies, uh, when you use this ingredient, is that... Um, there. Now you can go ahead and stir it up, please. <laughs> yeah. Depending on the size of the animal... And depending on where the animal came from or what his diet is, it really does 
enhance or, you know, the brownies take on a different flavor. Now, Sherry grew up in Latin America, and I want to tell you something. Latin American dogs, they have their own way of, you know, uh, flavoring brownies. Now, uh, maybe in India, I don't know, Sandeep, what the Indian dogs are like, but they might just really add a, mm, just to the, okay, how are we doing? Does it look kind of mixed together? Yes, it does. Very good. All right, now we take the spatula, and you may, oh, yes, it's gooey, so I will, it's, it's what? It looks awful tasty, he said, yes. You, you may have the opportunity to find that out in a little while. Just, just let that hold and drip there for a second. All right, would you just go ahead and put the beaters on this so that it can, it can drip there? Thank you. We'll just set it. Yeah, there we go. All right, now would you put this in the pan, please? And by the way, Jordan Andreessen, thank you for the special ingredient today. There you go. Very good. He's got large dogs. Large dogs are kind of mm, unique. Those little ones have a little bit more potency, but um, that's why I went with a little bit more of the special ingredient because it was a large dog. Thank you. That looks really good. And then what you do now is you make sure that it gets spread equally so that it's got, yeah, good, good. Now, according to the recipe, we have to preheat the oven to 350 degrees Fahrenheit. We have already preheated our oven in the kitchen to 350 degrees. Thank you. You may put that there. You may take your pan of brownies and follow Pastor Evan to the kitchen where they will begin to cook. Thank you very much. We will be back. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Wait, stop. Bake 26... I'm sorry. I didn't have you read the rest, but it's okay. Bake 26 to 28 minutes. So we need to set a timer. Please, this is a very important thing in cooking. Set yourself a timer. Some people like to set a backup timer. So I'm going to set a timer, and um, Hannah Warner, would you set a second timer as a backup timer for me, please? 26 minutes. So we're going to go for it. Hey, Siri. Hey, Siri. Thank you. Oh, somebody else got it too. No problem. No problem. Siri, set a timer for 26 minutes. Hey, Siri, set a timer for 26 minutes. Okay, 26 minutes and counting. Go. Cooking with Pastor Rick is now coming to a close. But if you have your Bible open, now turn to Ecclesiastes 10. And I want to show you a verse of Scripture that actually inspired my cooking demonstration. As dead flies cause even a bottle of perfume to stink, so a little foolishness spoils great wisdom and honor. In the 1996 edition of the New Living Translation, it says this. Dead flies will cause even a bottle of perfume to stink. Yes, an ounce of foolishness can outweigh a pound of wisdom and honor. An ounce of foolishness or a little foolishness can outweigh a pound of wisdom and honor. You know, I put my special ingredient into a batch of brownie dough, really a very good batch of brownie dough. Hate to, uh, you know, uh, possibly have to throw it away, depending on what Brandon wishes to do with it after it's cooked. Uh, but 
you know, there were pecans in it, there was chocolate, everything, but just a little. For most of you, because I saw your faces, I saw your noses turn up, and I saw some go, ew. You don't think that this is any good because of just a little. Just a little of Jordan Andreessen's special ingredients. Back in those days, perfume was a very valuable commodity. In fact, we have from the Bible a, uh, uh, a story of a lady who had a flask of perfume that was worth a year's wages. Just a few dead flies in that perfume would cause that perfume to stink and it would lose its value. Just a little bit, even if it's not the most valuable of perfumes, just a few dead flies will cause something that smells good, something that's of great value, to stink. And what Solomon, who, is, who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, the wisest man ever to live, wanted to paint a picture for us that small things can have a huge impact. That's why I've called this message the power of an ounce of foolishness. Because too often, the, the devil gets us to believe that some of the things that we are doing, some of the things that we are involved in, are no big deal. But they just might be. Because an ounce of foolishness, an ounce of foolishness can outweigh a pound of wisdom and honor. Now, here's the thing about Solomon. Solomon got the wisdom that he used to write this in Ecclesiastes. By the way, Ecclesiastes was written at the end of his life, the latter years of his life, when he had lived and he had seen and he had experienced and he had made good decisions and he had made bad decisions. At the end of his life, he says, dead flies will cause even a bottle of perfume to sink. Yes, an ounce of foolishness can outweigh a pound of wisdom and honor. And the wisdom that Solomon acquired to read that, he paid for. He acquired it at great cost. So go to 1 Kings chapter 10. Solomon is considered to be one of the greatest kings, if not by some, the greatest kings in the nation of Israel. He was known around that known world. He's still known today. He was rich. He had great honor. He had incredible wisdom. He was David's son. He built the temple of the Lord. He was the wisest man to ever live until Jesus came along, and even Jesus affirmed him as being the wisest man to ever live. He wrote several books of the Bible under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, including Ecclesiastes. In 1 Kings chapter 10, we get an overview of his life, an overview that has some startling things in it. So if you would turn then to 1 Kings 10, starting in the 14th verse. Really, Solomon in 1 Kings starts in chapter 4, and there's a lot that is written about him, his battles, his building programs, uh, those things. But we're going to get the overview starting in verse 14 of chapter 10. Each year, Solomon received about 25 tons of gold. This did not include the additional revenue he received from merchants and traders, all the kings of Arabia and the governors of the land. King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold, weighing more than 15 pounds. He also made 300 smaller shields of hammered gold, each weighing nearly 4 pounds. The king placed these shields in the palace of the forest of Lebanon. 
Then the king made a huge throne, decorated with ivory and overlaid with fine gold. The throne had six steps and a rounded back. There were armrests on both sides of the seat, and the figure of a lion stood on each side of the throne. There were also twelve other lions, one standing on each end of the six steps. No other throne in the world could be compared with it. Some people believe that the lions were statues. Others believe they actually had live lions walking up the steps, one on each side. Um, honestly, there was no photographers back then, so we don't know. But this is uh, just to let you know. All of King Solomon's drinking cups were solid gold, as well as all the utensils in the palace of the forest of Lebanon. They were not made of silver, for silver was considered worthless in Solomon's day. Can you imagine a society where silver is considered worthless? Now, some of our silver coins are also considered worthless because the silver content doesn't exist anymore in them. But still, solid silver is still a valuable commodity, certainly not up to the par of gold. But silver was considered worthless. There was so much silver, nobody valued it any longer. Verse 22, the king had a fleet of trading ships that sailed with Hiram's fleet. Once every three years, the ships returned loaded with gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. Now listen to verse 23 and 24, because this is the summary. So King Solomon became richer and wiser than any other king on earth. People from every nation came to consult him and to hear the wisdom God had given him. Year after year, everyone who visited brought him gifts of silver and gold, clothing, weapons, spices, horses, and mules. Solomon became richer and wiser than any king on the earth at the time. This was a man who had excelled. This was a man who God had blessed. This was a man who God appeared to on two separate occasions and spoke with him, told him about what he desired him to do, commended him for what he was doing. It goes on in verse 26. Solomon built up a huge force of chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses. He stationed some of them in the chariot cities and some near him in Jerusalem. The king made silver as plentiful in Jerusalem as stone. And valuable cedar timber was as common as the sycamore fig tree that grows in the foothills of Judah. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and from Cilicia. The king's traders acquired them from Cilicia at the standard price. At that time, chariots from Egypt could be purchased for 600 pieces of silver and horses for 150 pieces of silver. They were then exported to the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Aram. Seems like Solomon's on a good track. Seems like everything's going well with him. The blessing of God is on his life. He's experiencing this. He's receiving this. He's getting richer. He's wiser. Everybody admires him. He is the man. Yet there was something else happening. It was Solomon's ounce of foolishness. And starting in chapter 11, the Bible gives us insight into Solomon's ounce of foolishness. Now, this may not be your ounce of foolishness. It may not be my ounce of foolishness. This was Solomon's ounce of foolishness. Let's read it. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Amnon, Edom, Sidon, and from the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them. Solomon loved the ladies. Solomon loved the ladies. David loved the ladies. David also had a harem. He had multiple wives and he had concubines. 
Solomon is not, his ounce of wisdom is not that he had a harem. Solomon's ounce of, 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 excuse me, ounce of foolishness. Solomon's ounce of foolishness is not that he had a harem. Solomon's ounce of foolishness was not that he had several wives or concubines. Solomon's ounce of foolishness is this. He loved many foreign women. You say, well, what's the big deal with foreign women? And actually, in Solomon's mind, it wasn't a big deal. Politically, it was very advantageous for Solomon to have the daughter of Pharaoh as his wife or the daughter of another king as one of his wives or one of those in his, in his harem because that was one of the ways of binding nations together. You don't go and attack the nation that your daughter is giving you granddaughters. Does that make sense? Or grandsons. You're not going to do that. So in those days, it was politically advantageous for individuals to marry many wives, especially wives of other kings, foreigners. But God had specifically told David, God had specifically told Moses in the law that kings and really Israelites as a whole were not to marry foreigners. They were not to marry foreign wives. And here is why. Continuing in the scripture, the Lord had verse 20, verse two in chapter 11 The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your heart to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. I have been, unfortunately, able to know of individuals who insisted on doing something anyway that clearly was in violation of the word of God. And their ounce of foolishness brought them to an end they didn't want. There have been times in my life where my own ounce of foolishness, where I do it anyway, has caused issues. Yet Solomon insisted in loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth. These are those who he has brought in, probably with treaties, and 300 concubines. And here it says, and in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. Now, they didn't do it immediately. See, one of the things that was going on was he was, he was binding himself politically and strategically with foreign kings. And so when he would bring these wives in, he would build them homes, he would places uh, where, where they would live, where they would raise the children that they had. But also, with all of these foreign wives, he would allow them to continue to worship their gods. There were foreign altars. And really, what's the big deal? Come on, what's the big deal? Solomon wasn't worshiping these foreign gods. He was going on and he was worshiping Yahweh. He was going to the temple. He was offering the sacrifices. All of these things he was doing. Let my wives do whatever they want. It's helping my nation to be strong and secure. It's helping my nation to be prosperous. It's helping me not to have to worry about this man coming and attacking me because he's not going to attack the mother of his grandchildren. But in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. Look what it says, verse 4. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God, as his father David had been. Solomon worshipped Astaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. On the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, he even built a pagan shrine to Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and another to Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. 
Solomon built such shrines for all of his foreign wives to use for burning incense and sacrificing to their gods. And by the way, these two final gods that they talked about, the proper sacrifice necessary to appease these foreign gods was human, mostly infant. Solomon's wives were sacrificing human beings in the worship of their gods. And Solomon in his old age was drawn in to this. See, the ounce of foolishness is not necessarily the issue. The ounce of foolishness is going to lead you on a path that is going to take you someplace that you don't wish to end up. You say, well, what did the ounce of foolishness cost them? What was the result of the ounce of foolishness? Verse 9. This is where it's very, very, very sad. The Lord was very angry with Solomon, for his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. He had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods, but Solomon did not listen to the Lord's command. So now the Lord said to him, Since you have not kept my covenant and have disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. But for the sake of your father David, I will not do this while you are still alive. I will take the kingdom away from your son. And even so, I will not take away the entire kingdom. I will let him be king of one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, my chosen city. Solomon lost the kingdom for loving foreign wives. Solomon lost his kingdom because of an ounce of foolishness. I find it very interesting that when the Lord said that he would not do it while Solomon was alive, that it would happen to one of Solomon's sons, and that the Lord said, you will still have one tribe. One tribe will still be able to be ruled by your dynasty. He didn't say it for Solomon's sake, or he didn't say it because Solomon had done this, or Solomon had asked for wisdom, or Solomon had sought the Lord. He said for David's sake. It was for his father's sake that the tribe of Judah remained in the lineage of David. And it was for David's sake that God didn't do it to Solomon while Solomon was still alive. An ounce of foolishness. An ounce of foolishness caused the loss of the kingdom, the entire nation of Israel, to King Solomon. That's the power of an ounce of foolishness. And I believe, because I've walked it myself over the years, that you mix in a little bit of an ounce of foolishness or a little bit of dead flies and perfume or a little bit of dog poop and brownies and it permeates the whole thing and it destroys the perfume and honestly, it destroyed the brownies. Well, we'll find out when they come out of the oven in just a few minutes if it destroyed them or not. Dead flies will cause even a bottle of perfume to stink. And here's our thesis. It's not in your bulletin, but you may want to write it down. An ounce of foolishness can outweigh a pound of wisdom and honor. 
An ounce of foolishness in your finances can cost you incredibly financially. An ounce of foolishness in relationships can cost you in your relationships. An ounce of foolishness in where you go online can have a long-term impact on you or what you watch on TV. An ounce of foolishness that you allow in your heart in the form of gossip, backbiting, laziness, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness. You say, well, it's not that big of a deal. No, it isn't. It doesn't seem that way. It's just the ounce of foolishness. But the ounce of foolishness can outweigh a pound of wisdom and honor. All of Solomon's honor, wisdom, and finance was taken away and his son never got to rule an entire kingdom because an ounce of foolishness can outweigh a pound of wisdom and honor. Marriages are destroyed. Families are wounded. Careers are trashed. Finances are damaged. Even kingdoms are lost because of an ounce of foolishness. For those of you who have walked in a way that resists this, I just want to affirm what that's going to mean long term. Because you're not going to outweigh the wisdom and the honor and the things that you have done. I want to affirm that it's not easy to live a life where you're not allowing the ounce of foolishness to come into your heart. It's not always easy, but it's worth it. But this morning, the challenge is this. I've asked the Holy Spirit if there might be the need for him to reveal some things in lives here where you're allowing an ounce of foolishness to remain in your life. I just want to challenge you, please, please admit it, repent of it, and walk away from it. It doesn't seem like a big deal. A lady I'll call Jess, not her name, She got hurt. I know how she got hurt. I know who hurt her. And she got hurt. And she got her life back together. But she was right. She was. And the other person was wrong. I admit it. She admitted it. But the other person never apologized. That doesn't matter. But Jess chose Hang on to just a little bitterness because she was right. This other person hurt her. She was in the right. And she said she forgave, but she chose because that person didn't deserve her friendship. It didn't deserve her prayers. That person didn't deserve. She held on to it. And I watched the ounce of foolishness over the months and the years the ounce of bitterness that she thought was acceptable to hold on to began to tear Jess apart in many other areas of her life. It began to extend to other relationships. It began to extend to her relationship with the Lord because, see, an ounce of foolishness can outweigh a pound of wisdom and honor. I'll call his name David. It wasn't his name. David never really cared to work that hard, but he would do what was required on the job. 
but nothing extra. He actually had a little bit of a lazy streak. And when he got home, you know, the, the television and the video gaming systems and everything took up his time. And he earned a living, small living, found it difficult to hang on to and to keep jobs fully. And just that little bit of laziness that had gotten into David's heart began to expand into other areas of his life. He was lazy regarding his marriage. He was lazy regarding his parenting. He was lazy in his career and switched career, especially if someone made him work a little bit harder. And because of that, the ounce of foolishness when he was young began to outweigh so many other things in his life. Whatever that thing is for you, it probably doesn't seem like that big of a thing. In fact, if you've ever said to somebody who has challenged you on it, or to yourself as maybe you were reading the Word of God, it's not that big of a deal. If something as small as dead flies can cause a bottle of perfume to stink, or uh, something as small as, uh, and I didn't even put in a full tablespoon, a tablespoon of dog poop can totally ruin a pan of brownies, that's just the image that the Holy Spirit wants you to have in your heart. Here's the one thing I do have in your note sheet for you. If you would get it out. So, a thought. That's the beginning of this whole process of the ounce of foolishness. Sow a thought, you will reap an action. Then when you sow an action, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, and you reap a character. And you sow a character, and you reap a destiny. An ounce of foolishness can outweigh a pound of wisdom and honor. How are we doing? Two minutes and 34 seconds left. Brandon, by the time you get back there, I think our brownies are probably done. So Evan, would you go on back with, uh, with Brandon and, and get our brownies this morning? We'll see how they came out. Some of you have been aware that I preached this message at my former church. This particular thought of sowing, the thought, reaping an action, sowing an action, reaping a habit, sowing a habit, reaping a character, sowing a character, reaping a destiny, has really gotten into my heart. But the whole aspect, the whole illustration from the book of Ecclesiastes as, as dead flies can cause a bottle of perfume to stink. What dead flies are in your heart right now? About eight years ago was the first time I ever preached this message. I had to look for the dead flies within my own heart. Because again, just like gravity is a law, and we spoke about the law of giving and receiving, there's a law here. It's a spiritual law. It's a law we might not like because a few little dead flies, what's the, what's the problem? Because a few little dead flies can cause a bottle of perfume to stink. 
tablespoonful of dog poop can change the consistency and the desire for someone to enjoy some brownies. Foolishness, an ounce of foolishness, can have a huge impact on your life. Our brownies are arriving. Bring them up, Brandon, if you would, please. Slide them right there. Yeah. Hey, they look still. They smell delightful too. <clears throat> yes. Would you like? Would you? No. Okay. <laughs> Small or large? Large. <laughs> Got the plates. <laughs> it is along the warm side. Now, I'm, I'm just, you just wait right there a second. You watch the cooking of this, right? Okay. Would you be able to tell that there is a secret ingredient? Absolutely not. <laughs> Would you be able to tell? Take a snip. You guys. <laughs> They're fine with it. They say there's no secret ingredient in it. As a matter of fact, if I'd have let these cool and left them in, in the youth room for Wednesday night, <laughs> now after the first taste, they might have wondered who cooked them. How brave are you, my friend? Okay, <laughs> you may give Brandon a hand this morning. You can... You couldn't see it. But it was there and it would permeate every single bite. Folks, the ounce of foolishness that may still exist in your heart and in your life today. Make today the day that you say, no more. You say, well, I've tried before. Then you try again, and you try again, and you try again. Team, would you come to the platform as we close down this morning? And at the close of service, anyone who'd like to come up here and smell the brownies, you are certainly welcome to do that. Bow your heads, bow your hearts. Lord, this morning we have had a little bit of fun with a very, very serious topic. My heart, as I read 1 Kings 10, grieves at how Solomon, just following the culture, Solomon just doing what he thought was politically expedient, Solomon doing what others were doing in disobedience to the Lord. His ounce of foolishness caused him to worship gods and ultimately 
to lose the kingdom. Lord, if he would have only held on to you, what a difference it would have been this morning. This morning, Lord, for the rest of us. If there is an area in our life where we are allowing an ounce of foolishness, help us to identify it. And then, after we've identified it, as we confess, I know you will be faithful and just to forgive us. And then help us to walk out of that which we have been holding on to, whether it's relationally, whether it's in our internet uh, searching, whether it's in bitterness or laziness. Lord, help us. Jesus You've been listening to a message from Columbus First Assembly. We hope that you've been encouraged in your spiritual journey. If you're not part of a local church and would like to attend one of our regular services, our church is located at the corner of 10th and Iowa Street in Columbus, Indiana. Our Sunday morning worship services start at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday evening studies begin at 7 p.m. And while you're online, check out our website at columbusfirstassembly.org for details and information about our church. You will also find other messages and series that you can listen to or download. Thanks for spending some time with us and for taking advantage of this resource from Columbus First Assembly, where we strive to learn and live the word and ways of God.